Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to welcome you if you're a guest, if you're a new worshiper, if you've been attending here a long time, I want to welcome you on this Sunday morning. We are glad that you are here. And I, uh, just a, a conviction that you, it is not an accident that you are here on this morning. It is not an accident and it is not a coincidence. But the Lord has ordered your steps and you are here today for a reason, on purpose. And I want to hear from heaven today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. My hope is that your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, following him as a disciple of his this week, has been fruitful for you. And if you do not uh, have a relationship like that, I want you to consider this entire gathering this morning an invitation into a personal relationship with the one who loves you and loves your soul more than anybody else. His name is Jesus Christ, and you can know him in a one-on-one personal relationship. And it's in that relationship that you can find hope and peace and joy that you're not going to find anywhere else in this world. I pray that if you have that kind of a relationship with him, that it has been fruitful and building up for you this week. And if you are unfamiliar with that kind of relationship with God, I want to say again, this entire element, every element of what we're doing today, I want you to see it as an invitation in to a relationship with God that is alive, that is real, that is authentic, and that will bless you. It will bless you. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now if you know, if you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important than when we get to the end of our days, whenever that day arrives. I want to hear those two words, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's a lot of things in life. There's a lot of things that we've dealt with even this week. We could go around the room, and they're significant, and they matter. And there's obligations that we have, and there's things we have to uphold that are important in life. And there's even Scripture that tells us what some of those things are. But I want to say very unequivocally and clearly this morning that there is nothing more significant, nothing more urgent, nothing more deserving of your attention than making sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've been born again of the water and of the Spirit, and that you are living your life in such a way to when that day arrives, you can hear those words, well done. I know there's a lot of things that compete for our attention. I know that there's some things that are urgent and that even are important in this life. But when we gather together like this, we need sometimes just a weekly reminder of the thing that matters the absolute most, and it's your soul. It's your eternal soul. Hallelujah. If you would, turn your attention with me in the word of the Lord to Matthew chapter 24. You might already know the theme that I'm going to be preaching and ministering this morning, September 27th. Just a few weeks ago, the Lord directed me and told me to just repeat what he's saying and what he was saying to me 
that he directed me to repeat that we are living in the last days. We are living in the last days and we need to live and behave and conduct ourselves accordingly. Accordingly. During a private audience with Jesus, his closest disciples came and asked him some questions and started to receive some responses from him. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 gives us the question that set it all off. Those disciples gathered around Jesus on the Mount of Olives and they said, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus went on to describe in various different ways and to respond in different manners to their question. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 contains part of his answer that I want to focus our attention on together this morning. In the New King James Version of the Bible, this is what the Word of the Lord says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus said this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Jesus asks a question in verse 45. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? He's asking, he's painting a picture now for us of a master who assigns a particular role to a servant, and that role is to be in charge of the kitchen and to make sure that all the other servants receive their food on a regular schedule. It's a pretty simple but possibly complicated task. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. He says that servant that he finds that's accomplishing what he set him there to do, when he comes back and finds him doing that, He's not going to just leave him in charge of the kitchen, but he's going to elevate him to the position of being in charge of the whole house. But if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and mistreat them, and he begins to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to minister from the word of the Lord this morning 
about in the meantime. In the meantime. If you would, set your Bibles down. Let's lift our hands toward heaven and let's invite the Lord to have his way. And just why don't you just yield unto him right now and say, Lord, I yield myself unto your word. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray a covering over this assembly that's gathered here today. Lord, your word is blessed and your word is anointed. I pray that you would make me your vessel anointed to preach your word clearly and with bold authority in the Holy Ghost this morning. And Lord, I pray for every heart that's here today that, Lord, you would open our hearts to receive the gospel to hear the invitation of a relationship with you that can save us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that there would be a spirit of revelation that would sweep across the room in these next several moments that we have together, that we would have understanding, that our faith would be activated and built up, and that, Lord, before we leave the building today, that we would respond to you in the Holy Ghost and be pleasing unto you, be more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said amen. You may be seated. In the meantime, turn to your neighbor and tell them those words. In the meantime, what you do in the meantime matters. Who you are in the meantime matters. What do you mean, Brother Dustin, in the meantime? Here's what I mean. I mean that we are living in the last days, and right now we are living and we are positioned at a point in history where the return of the Lord could happen at any moment. The master could return for his church, and he could wrap up the activities on this earth in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. That's going, that trumpet's going to sound, and the eastern sky is going to part, and the church is going to be on the move, and everything that's happened in history up to this point is going to be resolved and everything is going to be changed at the end of the age. And I'm here to tell you today that regardless of what you feel about is happening in your world or in the world abroad, we are living at a point in history right now where the return of the Lord could happen even today. We don't know how much time we have between that day and this day, but in the meantime... How we live matters. Who we are matters. I would ask a question today, and I'm going to come back to it in a little while. What is your heart saying? I know we're not supposed to listen to our heart. Our heart is deceitful. Our heart has rotten things inside of it. We're supposed to be led by the Holy Ghost. But we have this internal voice on the inside of us, and hopefully it's sanctified inside of you. What is your heart saying today? What is your heart saying? Hebrews chapter 1, I ministered a couple weeks ago, and I expounded the fact that these days that we live in are the last days, because this is the age of the Messiah. We can see the signs of the times happening in our world. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's famine. There's shortages. There's things happening in our world today that you and I can point at. And we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there are biblical signs of the times that are occurring in our world today. But if you are not convinced even by those things, be convinced in this fact that Jesus is here, Jesus has come, he has died, he has risen again, and that we are living in the covenant age of the Messiah. There's been a Savior that's come, God manifest in the flesh, and that alone, that one sign by itself should send the signal to every person on the face of the earth, that we are living in the last days. 
God communicated to mankind in many different ways in ages past. He had prophets and he had different ways of communicating what was going on on his eternal timetable. But in this day, he has sent to us and he is speaking to us by his son, Jesus Christ. And we are living in the last days. Last Sunday, I ministered from 2 Peter chapter 3. If you were here on Sunday evening, you were a part of that service. And it's the passage that explains to us that God is not slack concerning his promise. Not his promises, but his promise. That verse is talking about a particular promise. And it's the promise of his coming. He's coming back soon. And he isn't slow for the reasons that you might think that he's slow. He's slow because he's patient. And he's long-suffering toward each one of us. Because it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and be saved. The apostle Peter wrote in that letter, and he said, in the last days, there would be those who are scoffing. It's possible to not just scoff in your actions, or, but you can scoff in your words. You can scoff in your attitude. You can scoff in your behaviors and the way in which you live your life. And he said, in the last days, there's going to be those who scoff at the promise of his coming. And they'll say things like, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued like they were at the creation. Let me put that in our vernacular today. There's going to be some that the spirit driving that is going to be, it hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to happen. It's circular reasoning. It doesn't make sense. All roads to that kind of reasoning lead back to your flesh and will cause you to justify living however you want to in these last days. But I'm here to tell you today that in these last days, in the meantime, between this day and that day, it matters who you are. It matters how you're living. It matters what you're doing. Jesus says that one day this age is going to end and soon thereafter we're going to step into eternity. Let me talk for a minute to a particular group of people. Anybody that considers themselves to be young, I'm not going to put an age at it because I don't want to get tarred and feathered after service. But anybody that considers themselves young Young people have this problem with time because they feel like they have an infinite amount of it. Young people, I know that if the Lord should tarry and your health should continue to be good, that you may have many years to live on the face of this earth. I certainly hope that if the Lord tarries that you do have a long and prosperous life. But the fact of the matter is, is that young people, hear me, there's coming a day when the Lord is going to wrap things up. And it might be when you're 22. There's going to be some that never see their 30th birthday. There's going to be some that never see their 40th birthday. There's going to be some that never see their children grow all the way up into adulthood in this life. Don't get caught into the trap of the enemy that will tell you 
that you have all the time in the world to make things right with God, that I'm going to live however I want during this time period of my life. And once I turn 20, once I turn 30, once I have a family, once my education's done, once I'm married, once I'm done playing the field and I've settled down and I've gotten a relationship with a person and we're stabilized, then I'll live for God. Then I'll get things right. Then I'll start to do the things that I've been trained up that I know's right. Young person, don't get caught in that trap of the enemy because the Lord is returning at such a time that you don't know the day or the hour when it's going to be. What a tragedy it would be for a young person that's heard a message like this, that's been raised up by godly parents with, that, have, that know the right things to do. To lose out because they've bought into one lie of the enemy that's told them that your time that you have is infinite. Older saints of God, we need to make sure that we are communicating that truth into the younger generation every chance we get because those of you that are older, you know what I'm talking about. You know time goes by so quickly. You look around and you see things happening in our world today and you see the progression of how things have gone in our world and you know better than most the signs of the times and the acceleration of the days that we're living in. The scriptures that we read together today speaks about two servants The first servant that's described, if you've got your Bible open to Matthew 24, I would direct you to look there with me and to just see for yourself that one servant is called faithful and wise. The servant was set over the operations in the master's kitchen. He was given the task to make sure that the servants received food on a regular schedule. The other Servant is described as evil and generally unaware. Instead of operating like he was assigned to, this second servant makes a power play on his relationships. He starts to associate with whoever and whatever he wants to. Have you ever killed time? I think we all have, haven't we? We've all, whether it's in a waiting room, just shudder just thinking about it. Whether it's somewhere else besides a waiting room, you've killed time. We do that. I'm not preaching against killing time. Just make sure you're doing it profitably and redeeming the time. We kill time because sometimes we encounter a block of time in our daily life that we don't think amounts to anything really important. I can dawdle, I can do whatever I want because what happens right now is of no real consequence anyways. I'm just going to kill time. And some believers, some believers, these were disciples that were talking to Jesus. Jesus wasn't talking to a multitude of people that didn't know which way was up. These were some of his closest disciples that he was ministering to that day on the Mount of Olives. And Satan has convinced even some believers, even some would-be disciples, that what you do in the meantime doesn't matter. That once you've been born into the kingdom, you have this window where you can just kill time for a little while. 
waiting for the return of the Lord. And here's what Jesus says about that kind of posture towards life. In verse 48, he said, The evil servant says in his heart, in his heart, Hear me this morning. Let's get real for a moment. What we're talking about starts out as invisible. It's in his heart. He says it in his heart. He says, my master is delaying his coming. And then he starts to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. That attitude of the heart, that's why I asked a moment ago, what's your heart saying? That attitude of the heart, if it's left unchecked, if it's allowed to run rampant, it will spawn all kinds of bad conduct and lifestyle. You might even, if we were to cross-reference it to the text that I preached last week, to 2 Peter chapter 3, you might even say that that's the kind of spirit that my master's delaying is coming. That when your heart starts to say that, it spawns, it gives birth to a scoffing spirit. You start to scoff in your actions. You start to scoff in your tolerances, what you're, allowed, what you're permitting in your home, what you're permitting into your life. You start to scoff in your words that you use, perhaps. And what it amounts to is not taking God seriously. There's two things that Jesus identifies as last day concerns for would-be disciples when we see our heart starting to get complacent and lukewarm, and comfortable, and lulled to sleep. He said, this evil servant started to mistreat the people around him and not treat them properly. And he started to associate with the wrong people and the wrong things. It matters how you treat people. That's a whole message in itself. It matters. Your relationships matter. Your relationship with your spouse matters. It doesn't just matter that it's intact. It matters that it's healthy. It matters that you're treating one another correctly according to Scripture. It matters that you're thriving together. Your relationships with your children, even adult children, grandchildren, your parents, those relationships matter. They matter. Why multiple times in Scripture... Does one of the apostles or the New Testament writers start to talk about what some of the signs of the times are going to be? And appearing on almost every list is something about being disobedient to parents or some other feature of our relationships. Because in the last days, there's going to be a deterioration of relationships and appropriate activity one to another. And it's the product of a scoffing spirit and a voice of the heart that says, my master is delaying his coming. It's when it's put into action that we're actually just killing time. That what happens in the meantime doesn't really amount to a whole lot. I'm here to tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt today that your relationships matter, that how you treat one another matters. It doesn't mean that you're not entitled, that you can't make a mistake every once in a while, but you better get forgiven about it. You better make the first move. Don't allow bitterness to take root. Don't allow grudges and, and resentment to take root. Make it right. Get your relationships in order, especially the most important ones in your life and even the interactions we have with acquaintances and strangers. It all matters to God. 
God, and it matters in the last days, and it's going to set God's people apart. It matters who you associate most closely with. The evil and oblivious servant said, my master is delaying his coming. And not only did he start to beat on the people that were around him and mistreat them, but he altogether started to associate with the wrong people. He had been, he'd been, put, in, he'd been put in a position of trust and responsibility. We talk to the saints of God here. You've been born again of the water and of the spirit. God has a purpose for your life. God has responsibility for you. God has a role for you to fill. I don't know. It doesn't really matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are, what kind of background you had. When he filled you with the gift of his spirit speaking in other tongues and you received the name of Jesus on your life in baptism, God, had he already had a pre-established purpose for you. He's got something that he wants you to engage Jen. He's got a thing that he's going to trust you with. And when we abandon that and we shake that off and say, I'm just going to live however I want to live. In the meantime, we start associating with people and with things that are outside of the will of God for your life. And Jesus himself says to his closest disciples on the Mount of Olives that in the last days, there's going to be some that are evil and unfaithful that have been given a responsibility, that have been placed in a position of knowledge and authority and trust that are going to forsake that. And instead of taking care of the people around them, they're going to beat on them and mistreat them. And their relationships are going to be out of order. And furthermore, they're going to distance themselves from the right kind of crowd. They're going to put themselves in situations that are compromising. They're going to put themselves around people constantly and enclose their associations with the wrong people and the wrong activities. It matters who you most closely associate with. I've said it before. I'm not the first one that said it, but I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that I think it bears a lot of truth that you are probably the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Just consider that. The five people that you spend the most time with. You are the average of, you're the composite of all that. It changes who you are. It molds you into the person that you become. Jesus' language here when he's talking about this evil servant is a reference to the final state of those who live like the meantime doesn't matter. The word of the Lord says this. You may have caught it the first time we read through it. it says that on that day when the master returns at a day and an hour, that the, that the servant is not expecting. He's going to find him doing all those things that we just talked about, living like that, living like it doesn't really matter what happens in the meantime. And the master's going to return, and it says that he's going to cut him in two. Cut him in two. That's what they used to do to slaves and to servants that were disobedient, that were rebellious in those days. I'm not advocating for some of that. I'm just telling you the history of what used to happen and where that kind of language comes from because that's the language that his original audience, those disciples, would have understood exactly what he was talking about. And for us, it's not 
there to draw our attention to some gory, gruesome picture. It's not my intent today in pausing on this, but when Jesus says he's going to find that individual and he's going to cut him in two, it can be emblematic for us of a dual focus in life. You can only serve one master. No man can serve two masters. And that day is going to expose who you really are. Jesus goes on to say in the next sentence, he says not only are they going to be cut in two and exposed for who they really are, but there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As much rejoicing as there's going to be in heaven, there will be that level of weeping in hell and the lake of fire. It is going to be a terrible place. The hottest fire that you've ever felt is going to be in hell. The loudest screams that you've ever heard are going to be in hell. There's going to be a dimension of agony and regret that we are as yet unfamiliar with in this life that is going to exist in that lake of fire. It is not a place that you want to go. It is not a place that you want anyone that you know or that you ever meet to want to go. It is not a place that was designed for you. You were designed for the presence of the King of Kings. You were designed as a worshiper. But in hell, there is going to be none of that because hell is going to be a place of eternal separation from the presence of God, a place of complete hopelessness. It is not a place that you want to go, but it is a place that some, by virtue of how they are living in the meantime, may be positioned to enter that place. The two servants that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, at the very end of the chapter, are in many ways exactly like the ten virgins that he talks about in the very next chapter. The ten virgins are the ones that were waiting for the bridegroom to return, and they had lamps and they had oil. And oil in Scripture is oftentimes symbolic of the Spirit of God. And these virgins were waiting on the bridegroom. And the scripture says, Jesus tells the story that there were five of them who were wise and there were five of them who were foolish. And the wise ones were identified by the fact that they kept their lamps full of oil, waiting for the hour and the moment that the bridegroom would return. They were determined that they were going to be ready for that moment. The five foolish were identified by the fact that when the bridegroom came, no one knew they were foolish until the day and the hour came. Everyone looked the same. The distinction was not made between who was wise and who was foolish until the day that the bridegroom, the master, returned. And in that moment, 
it was made painfully and tragically obvious that there were some who had a lamp, who had the capacity, who had a place, a vessel, where they could have oil, but they had no oil. We must be full of the Spirit of God. It is not enough to have had a one-time encounter with the Spirit of God and to have some of it outpoured into our life and to live the rest of our days never giving it another thought. But there is a daily relationship. I said this was going to be about an invitation into a relationship with Him. There is a daily relationship that each and every one of us can have that will act as the only source that you will ever find for that oil that we need to have in our lamp that will get us ready for that day. As the musicians come, let me put my crosshairs on the comfortable today. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, verse 46. He said, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. I've spent time this morning identifying some of the things that the evil servant did, but let let me just for a moment put the crosshairs on anybody that's feeling comfortable and overly secure because this is an eternal salvation thing that we're doing this morning. Jesus says that 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 servant who is faithful, blessed is he. Here's here's why he's going to be blessed. Here's, Here's why that servant is different from the other one. It's because when the master returns... He finds that servant doing what he asked him to do. Now, let me make a distinction. The master didn't just find him in the kitchen, but he found him active and doing and accomplishing. It wasn't that he was just in the right spot. It wasn't that he just checked in at the church house. It was that he found him doing. I want to draw your attention to that word right now. Don't miss this. It's an action word. Doing. Doing. Faith without works is dead. Doing. God is looking for not just hearers of the word, but those who would be doers of the word. He's looking for those who have cultivated a place of a living and active faith. Such an important distinction. May seem like we're splitting hairs to you, but I tell you, with all the conviction I have in my heart, look at the Word of God for yourself. We're not splitting hairs this morning whenever we talk about doing versus just being and, and, and filling space doing a living and active faith. If you will dig into the word of the Lord for yourself, you will find that what I'm saying is the truth. And it is reflected in all the other gospel writers, in all the other writers of the New Testament. They make that very important distinction that faith without works is dead and that we have to have a living and active and alive faith and a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. But can I tell you the good news today that that kind of faith, that kind of relationship, that kind of oil can be poured into your life today. Today. God has prepared a place for you in heaven. There's an address 
with your name on it in heaven. That place that I talked about a moment ago was that terrible, awful place was not designed for you. But when we fail to align ourselves with the will of the master, it's not just about being in the will of God. But Jesus said, it's more than that. It's about doing the will of God. If you would stand with me all over this room, Jesus' standard is doing. Jesus' standard is action. And so all across this room right now, I would that we would lift our hands toward heaven and that we'd put some action on it today and that we'd put some activity behind the word of the Lord and the faith that's present here today. There's faith here. The, The Holy Ghost has convicted some. The Holy Ghost is ministering to others and comforting others. He's, he's, he's stirring up some of the comfortable right now who maybe you need to take that step into that other dimension.